What training split should you follow? Should you do a bodybuilding split? Should you follow a full body split? Does it really matter? And the answer is it doesn't really matter. What matters more than your training split is a variable known as training frequency. Your training split influences your training frequency. If you do a bodybuilding split where Monday is chest day and you don't train your chest again till next Monday, that is a training frequency of once a week for the chest. If you train three times a week and you do full body workouts each time, that is a training frequency of three times per week for each muscle, right? What matters most is that you have a training frequency for each muscle of at least twice a week. What's up guys? Welcome to the Dr. Joey Munoz Show. Today, we're gonna to be talking about the fundamentals of hypertrophy training. Hypertrophy being building muscle, right? So I know the majority of the information that I share on this podcast is about nutrition and fat loss, but if you guys follow me on social media, you know that I absolutely love lifting. I think lifting is the most important modality of exercise that everybody should be doing, and in particular, lifting in a way that's focused on building muscle. Because obviously you can lift weights and have different outcomes like getting ridiculously strong or getting faster and more explosive, but there are ways to train specifically for building muscle, which is what most people want to do anyway, right? Most people want to lose some body fat, build some muscle and look better. And there's a lot of confusion out there in terms of like, what's the best program? What exercises should I be doing? How many sets should I be doing? And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about in this podcast, right? So after listening to this whole thing, you should have a pretty good sense of what matters for hypertrophy and have a pretty good sense of how to build a like rudimentary, well-balanced training program that'll help you build some muscle and achieve your body composition goals, okay? Let's go ahead and go right into it. The first and most important variable for ensuring muscle hypertrophy is what we call progressive overload. You guys might've heard of this already. Progressive overload is just literally progressing over time. You can progress by adding weight on exercises, you can progress by adding repetitions, right? So if you go from benching 100 pounds for 10 reps to benching 100 pounds for 20 reps, that's progressive overload. You can induce progressive overload by increasing the range of motion of the exercise, right? For example, you were squatting to 90 degrees and now you squat with full range of motion using the same weight and the same number of repetitions. That's a form of progressive overload. And then if you improve your exercise execution, like more control, right? If you're doing eccentrics with a slightly slower movement, if you are pausing between the negative portion and the positive portion of your exercise, if you're able to control the weight better, that's also a form of progressive overload, right? So progressive overload just means that you are doing more and your workouts are getting harder over time, right? And that's the overarching principle. It's the same as like energy balance for nutrition, right? Energy balance is the overarching principle that dictates whether you gain or lose weight. Progressive overload is the overarching principle that dictates whether you build muscle or you don't. Now, this is an interesting area because progressive overload, in my opinion, is not something that you necessarily have to force, right? People will like write down their programs and they're like, this week I'm doing three by eight, next week I'm doing three by nine, next week I'm doing three by 10, all with the same weight, so I'm progressively overloading. And on paper, you're progressively overloading, but you may not actually be able to do that every single workout, right? So progressive overload is not something that you have to force into your workouts, 
like when you write down your program, you don't have to implement progressive overload into your programming by saying that each week you're going to do more reps or five more pounds or whatever it is. Progressive overload is simply a byproduct of you training hard and prioritizing your recovery over time, right? If you train hard and if you prioritize your recovery, you sleep well, you eat well, you will naturally progressively overload your training over time because you'll get stronger, which means you'll use slightly more weight, which means you'll slightly do more repetitions. So you will progressively overload as a byproduct of training hard, of training correctly, of training intelligently, right? It's not something that you have to force. It's like what came first, the chicken or the egg? I still don't know the answer to that question, by the way. (laughs) If some of you guys do, let me know. But essentially, Progressive overload is not something that you have to force into your training. It's simply that something that happens as a byproduct of hard training. Now, all kinds of training, right? If you want to get better at anything, if you want to get stronger, if you want to be more explosive and jump higher, in order to progress in any aspect of your physical capacities, you have to progressively overload your training. Now, there are different ways of progressively overloading training, right? Like if you're trying to get really strong you probably want to use heavier weight right because that'll make you stronger so there are ways of manipulating progressive overload or variables different training variables that will make your adaptation more specific to what you want to achieve right and the reason i'm bringing this is because what we're going to talk about is how to manipulate different variables so that your training is optimal for hypertrophy specifically Because at the end of the day, again, like we talked about, that's what most people want. Most people want to grow their muscles. So let's go ahead and talk about these variables. The first thing to talk about is your training split, right? What training split should you follow? Should you do a bodybuilding split where Monday is chest day, Tuesday is back, Wednesday is legs? Should you follow a full body split where you're training your entire body every day? Should you do an upper body, lower body split? Does it really matter? And the question, the answer is, it doesn't really matter. The particular split you do doesn't really matter. What matters more than your training split is a variable known as training frequency, right? Your training split influences your training frequency. This is what I mean. Training frequency refers to the number of times you train a muscle per week, okay? So for example, if you do a bodybuilding split where Monday is chest day and you don't train your chest again till next Monday, That is a training frequency of once a week for the chest. If you train three times a week and you do full body workouts each time, that is a training frequency of three times per week for each muscle, right? What matters most is that you have a training frequency for each muscle of at least twice a week, okay? And whatever you can do in terms of your training split to ensure that you train each muscle at least twice a week then you have a a good training split, right? It doesn't really matter whether you do push-pull legs, upper body, lower body, whole body, whatever. The one training split I would not recommend is a traditional bodybuilding split because you only train each muscle once a week. Why does that matter? Why does it matter? Why is it important to train each muscle at least twice a week? Well, it's because if you train your muscles only once a week, well, it's twofold. First off, when you train your muscles or any muscle in particular, it usually recovers within 48 to 72 hours. So it makes sense to train it again in 48 to 72 hours if you want to maximally stimulate growth, if you want to stay anabolic, right, building muscle. 
Now, the other variable is the fact that the amount of work that you need to do to help or to make a muscle grow optimally is just too much work to do it all in one day, right? Let's say I'm doing in total like 15 sets for my chest. If you do all of those 15 sets in one day, sure, you could do it. But you can argue that the second half of those sets, like 8 to 15, are going to suffer in terms of performance compared to if you did those on a separate day, right? So if you did 7 sets one day, 8 sets the other, you'd train a lot better. Your performance would be a lot better compared to doing all 15 in one day. And that's why training at least twice a week, training each muscle at least twice a week, is going to be more beneficial than just once a week, Okay. And you might be thinking, well, if two times is good, I'm going to train my chest three times or four times or five times. And the research shows pretty clearly that more training frequency, higher than twice a week, isn't necessarily more beneficial. In some situations, it may be with more advanced lifters. But for most people, training each muscle just twice per week is going to be optimal when it comes to hypertrophy, right? And what I want to share with you guys here is some of my favorite modalities of training or my favorite training splits if you want to train each muscle twice per week. Now, keep in mind, the more days per week you train, the more total work you can do, right? But some people don't have the luxury of going to the gym five or six days and they have to do two or three or four days per week, right? Ideally, you're training more than two, two days per week. At least you're training three days per week, ideally, right? If you have to train two days per week, just do two, two full body workouts. But again, if you can train more days, it's going to be better because you can just do more work, right? So let's talk about some training splits that have twice a week frequency for three days, four days, five days, and six days per week right? Because most people are going to train somewhere between three and six days per week. If you're doing three workouts per week, I really like having one full body day, one upper body day, one lower body day. That takes care of everything twice for the week. If you're going to be training four times per week, I like doing two upper body workouts and two lower body workouts, okay? If you are training five days per week, I like doing a lower body and upper body, another lower body, and then separating my last two days into an upper body push day and an upper body pull day. Are you tired of spending countless hours grocery shopping, cooking, and preparing your meals? I get it. Time is precious, and that's where Icon Meals comes into play. I've partnered with Icon Meals to bring you delicious, macro-friendly, and high-protein meals that will make it easier than ever for you to achieve your fitness goals. I understand that you may have hesitations over the cost of a meal prep service compared to cooking food at home. But let's face it, how often do you spend more money eating out because you didn't have time to prepare your food at home anyways? With Icon Meals, you not only save time, but you invest in your health. These meals are carefully crafted to be healthier and more in line with your fitness goals than most of the food that you eat out anyways. So why wait? Visit iconmeals.com and explore their wide array of mouth-watering meals. And as a special bonus for listening to this podcast, use code JOSEPH10 at checkout for a special discount off of your order. By the way, you can find all of the necessary links in the description of this podcast. Don't let time be a barrier to your success. Choose Icon Meals and fuel your journey towards a healthier, fitter you. Okay, so that would be upper, lower, push-pull legs. That would be a five-day-per-week split with two times frequency for each muscle. And now if I'm training six days per week, I would just do push-pull legs, push-pull legs. Um, there's no need to train seven days per week. <laughs> you definitely can, and 
you can essentially figure out how you're going to split up your training. But what matters more than the, than the particular split you're doing is that you train each muscle at least twice per week. Again, all of those splits that I just mentioned are going to be pretty equally effective. It really doesn't matter. The split you do should be based off how many days per week you can train. If you can train more days, that's better. And then just make sure you train each muscle at least twice per week. Okay? So aside from splits, now let's talk about exercise selection. What exercises should you be doing to maximize muscle growth? Right? And we'll start by separating exercises into two main categories compound movements and isolation movements. Compound movements are movements that train various muscles at once and there are various joints in, involved in moving throughout the exercise, whereas isolation movements typically target one or a few muscles and are usually just one joint moving, right? So a bicep curl is an example of an isolation movement, a squat, a bench press, a pull-up are all examples of compound movements, okay? You should always include a combination of both compound and isolation-based movements in your workouts, right? You should ideally start your workouts with compound movements and then finish off your workouts with isolation movements. Since you're fresh, first thing in your workout, you want to do the most difficult movements first. Now, what are some of the compound movements you should be doing? There are no must-do exercises. You don't have to do a barbell back squat. You don't have to do a barbell bench press. There are simply just must-do movement patterns right? So for the lower body, you want to be doing some sort of squatting movement. It doesn't have to be a barbell back squat. It can be a leg press. It can be a hack squat. It can be a belt squat. It can be a Bulgarian split squat. You need to be doing something that resembles a squat, okay? You should also be doing something that resembles a hip hinge. That could be a deadlift. That could be a good morning. It could be a Romanian deadlift. Anything of that, uh, of that nature where you are hinging at the hips. And you should also ideally be doing some sort of single leg work like lunges, Bulgarian split squats, single leg leg press, because single leg work is going to help prevent imbalances in the lower body between the left and right leg, right? None of us are perfectly symmetrical. We all have one side that's a little bit longer than the other, like one leg that's a little bit longer or asymmetries between our left and right sides. And if we do everything bilaterally, so doing both sides together, like a barbell squat or a leg press, if that's all we do, most of us will probably develop some sort of imbalances and those imbalances can be prevented to a certain degree doing single leg work. So for the lower body, you want to make sure you include some sort of squatting movement, some sort of hip hinge, and some sort of single leg work as well. And you probably want to do maybe two or three of each of those for the week, right? So I usually do like two squatting movements for the week. I'll usually do one hip hinge movement for the week and one single leg movement for the week, right? So you want to have, I'd say at least between one and three of each of these movements in your training. Now for the upper body, you want to have a vertical press and a vertical pull. So a vertical press would be like an overhead press. Doesn't matter if it's dumbbells, barbells, machine, whatever it is. And a vertical pull, some sort of pull up or pull down, whether it's neutral grip, underhand, overhand, doesn't matter. You want some sort of vertical pull and pushing movement. You also want some sort of horizontal pushing and pulling movement, like a bench press or a dumbbell chest press or a machine chest press and some sort of rowing movement. That rowing movement is going to be your horizontal pulling movement, right? And similarly to the lower body, you want to make sure that you include eh, one to three of each of these uh, per week in your training, ideally, right? And these are all very like general numbers that are influenced by a ton of variables, but I'm just giving you some general guidelines 
that are a nice starting place and then you can tailor your training depending on how you're enjoying it right so some sort of squatting movement some sort of hip hinge movement some sort of single leg movement a vertical press and a pull for the upper body and a horizontal press and a pull for the upper body that's going to be the majority of the compound movements that you should include in your training and you should include at least at the very least one of each of those in your training program so for me i usually do a barbell bench press and a dumbbell chest press as my horizontal movements i'll also do like an incline which is i guess between a horizontal and a vertical but i do that as well i do one heavy vertical press it's usually a dumbbell press for the for the pulling movements i'll always do pull-ups usually twice a week with different variations an overhand or a neutral grip and i'll usually do one or two rowing movements as well right so I'm including all of these movements in my training week multiple times. Now, aside from those compound movements, you should be doing some isolation movements as well. And those isolation movements should really be to complement the compound movements and also should be selected based on the muscles that you want to focus more on, right? So for the upper body with those compound movements, sure, those compound movements do train your biceps and your triceps, but not as much as a bicep curl or a tricep extension. So I always do a little bit more in terms of arm volume. Your lateral shoulders don't really get a ton of stimulus from overhead pressing, so doing some lateral shoulder flies. Your hamstrings don't get a ton of involvement from those lower body compound movements, so doing some hamstring curls would be helpful, right? And then you can include isolation movements strategically for the muscles that you want to emphasize more. You know, if you want to grow your calves, you should be doing some isolation movements specifically for the calves. So you have this general exercise selection compound movements that are going to train all the major muscle groups and then you complement those with isolation movements on body parts that you want to get a little bit more stimulus essentially right now another variable to talk about in terms of exercise selection is machines versus free weights should you do more machines should you do more free weights when it comes to hypertrophy specifically this is going to be a controversial answer but in general machines might be slightly better right that doesn't mean that free weights aren't great as well. Free weights are fantastic for hypertrophy. But a leg press is arguably better for hypertrophy specifically than a barbell squat. A really good machine chest press is theoretically a little bit better than a barbell bench press. Why? Because these machines are more stable, right? So your balance is not a component that you have to think about, right? Like when you're squatting as you start to fatigue, your balance might start going to shit essentially, right? Your technique might start to break down. And so it's not as effective as a leg press, which is literally in a fixed plane. And every single repetition you do, you are targeting your quads and your glutes the exact same way. And you're really able to push failure and fatigue those muscles, right? So, I mean, the majority of the work that I do is using free weights, but machines are incredibly beneficial. And for people to say that machines are not as good as free weights for hypertrophy is just not true, Okay. Another thing to think about is how stable an exercise is. And that's another reason why machines are so effective is because they're very stable, right? There's a reason why doing a squat on a BOSU ball where you're like unbalanced essentially is not useful for hypertrophy at all. It's because you cannot produce maximal force 
and appropriately fatigue muscles in an unstable environment, right? So you want to choose exercises that are as stable as possible from a hypertrophy perspective. And most exercises are, right? Like a squat, a leg press, a hack squat, all of those things are gonna be very stable environments. But you don't wanna be throwing in random shitty exercises like squatting on a BOSU ball or doing a single leg RDL with a twist while having your hand above your head and like all of these random exercises from a hypertrophy standpoint, they suck. <laughs> They're not good at all for hypertrophy. They may feel really hard because they are really hard in terms of coordination and balance, but that's not what matters for hypertrophy. What matters for hypertrophy is that you are fatiguing the muscle that you are trying to train. And when you do a squat on like a BOSU ball, your quads aren't really burning and you're never really taking them to failure. So it's just not an effective exercise to grow the quads, right? The same would be like you see people doing a bench press with those fancy earthquake bars that are like super shaky, that sucks for hypertrophy, right? It might be really good for developing coordination and balance or reaction time or whatever, but from a hypertrophy perspective, you don't wanna be doing those kinds of exercises, right? For example, doing a squat with a dumbbell over your head or I don't know, doing some sort of like push up on some sort of like balance board or something like that. Don't be doing any sort of like funky exercise where your balance is an issue. That's not going to be effective for hypertrophy. Okay. Hey guys, some of you may not know that I'm the scientific advisor for a supplement company called Outwork Nutrition. I help with the formulation of new products to help ensure that they're effective and backed by science. Unlike many other supplement companies out there, we don't rely on exaggerated claims or flashy marketing tactics. Instead, we let the science speak for itself. We take pride in formulating products that deliver real results, helping you achieve your fitness goals in a meaningful way. If you're in the market for supplements like protein powder, pre-workout, or recovery products, make sure to check us out at outworknutrition.com. And as a thank you for being an avid listener of this podcast, use code Joey for an exclusive discount at checkout. You can find the link to our website down in the description of this podcast episode. Remember, our goal is to empower you with science-backed supplements that truly make a difference. Choose Outwork Nutrition and elevate your fitness to new heights. All right, so after exercise selection, Let's talk about volume, okay? So volume is essentially the amount of work that you do in a workout or in a given week, okay? And traditionally, it's thought about as weight times sets times reps. So if I'm doing three sets of bench press with 100 pounds for 10 reps on each set, that is 3,000 pounds of volume, okay? Now... I really don't like thinking of volume that way because rep ranges, whether you're doing low reps or high reps, and we'll talk about reps in a second, doesn't matter a ton for hypertrophy. What matters is training hard, so taking each set near failure. So I like to think of volume, and actually a lot of the literature is thinking of volume in this fashion now, is just number of hard sets, right? So how many hard sets are you doing per muscle per week? That's how we define volume. Okay, and if we look at the research, this is a pretty vague response here, but you want to be ideally doing between 10 and 20 sets per muscle group per week. So for example, instead of doing 10 sets for my chest, if I did 14 sets or 18 sets or 20 sets, that's theoretically going to be better than doing 10 sets. Now I say theoretically because the amount of volume you can handle is dependent on your ability to recover from it, right? If you're doing so much volume that you can't recover and you always feel tired and you're always sore, then you can argue that you 
are doing too much volume and you'd likely benefit from slightly lower volume, right? That's a topic for another podcast episode where I could just talk about volume for like an hour. But in general, you want to do at least 10 sets per muscle. And if you can do more, that's ideally going to be better because there, there's a linear relationship between volume and hypertrophy, right? More work equals more growth from your training. And volume doesn't have to be equal for all muscle groups either, right? Like let's say you're going to really uh, emphasize growing your chest for the next 12 weeks. Well, maybe you're doing like 18 or 20 sets for your chest, but only 10 sets for the other muscle groups so that you have really high volume for your chest but your overall training volume isn't so much that you can't recover from it, right? So you can also specify training particular muscles with a little bit more volume over, over specific time periods, right? That's obviously a little bit more advanced of a training technique or of a programming perspective. But in general, as long as you're doing at least 10 sets per muscle per week, you're gonna be in a good place to get a pretty good growth stimulus. Now you might be thinking, does that mean 10 sets for my chest, 10 sets for my biceps, 10 sets for my tricep, 10 sets for every single muscle? And the answer is yes, but understand that different exercises contribute to volume for different muscles, right? So like if you do three sets of bench press, three sets of chest press with dumbbells, three sets of incline chest press with dumbbells, that's nine sets for your chest. You don't have to do an additional 10 sets for your triceps because those pressing movements work your triceps as well, right? So if you're doing 10 sets or so for each major muscle group, I'd say you can probably get away with four to six sets per week of isolation movements or for muscles that are also trained by those compound movements, right? So again, all the pressing movements train your triceps. I personally do between 14 and 16 sets of heavy pressing movements per week, right? So I only really do four or five sets for my triceps because they get a really good stimulus from those pressing movements already. So you don't have to do an additional 10 sets for muscles like your triceps or your biceps, right? Because they're already getting a pretty good stimulus from some of those big pressing movements. Okay. Aside from volume, let's now talk about intensity. Intensity means how hard you train, right? You can obviously do a set of 10 repetitions that was pretty easy, or you could do a set of 10 repetitions that was really freaking hard, really, really hard, right? Like going to failure would be really high intensity and staying away from failure by a lot would be very low intensity. And in the literature and in the fitness industry, we use this term called RIR, repetitions in reserve. Right? And all it means is how many reps you had left at the end of a set. So if I did a set of 10 on the bench press at a 2 RIR, it means I probably could have done 12 reps if I went to failure. It means I left two reps left in the tank. Right? So RIR is just a variable that's used to quantify how hard you're training, how intensely you're training. Zero RIR means you went to failure. One RIR means you left one rep in the tank. Two RIR means you left two reps in the tank, etc right? So intensity just refers to how hard you train. And in general, the harder you train, the more effective it's going to be for muscle growth. But you don't always want to train to failure. Why? Because the harder you train, the more fatigue you accumulate, right? So the harder it is to recover from your training. If we look at the scientific literature, if you train at like a two or three RIR, that's going to be pretty damn effective for growing muscle, right? One RIR, zero RIR is going to be more effective, 
but it's also going to be way more fatiguing. So it's going to be way harder to recover from. It's like every additional rep you get closer to failure, you are exponentially increasing fatigue, right? So ideally, the majority of your training should probably be at around a two or three RIR, two or three reps in reserve. So if I could do 13 reps on the bench press with 100 pounds, most of my sets are going to be 11 or 10 reps, right? There's a, definitely a time and place to go to one RIR or zero RIR, but that should not be the majority of your training. For big, heavy compound movements like a bench press or a squat or a leg press, you probably want to be around a two or three RIR the majority of the time. And then for isolation-based movements like a bicep curl, tricep extension, calves, you can pretty much train those to zero RIR always because they're not that fatiguing, right? So you could take those to failure pretty much on every set, I'd say, for those small isolation movements. For the big compound movements, the majority of your sets, two, three RIR, maybe you take one or two of your 10 to 20 sets per week, maybe you take one or two sets closer to failure, zero or one RIR. And that way you're getting a good mix of pretty high intensity, but not going to failure. And then maybe five to 10% of your training is going to failure on those big compound movements. And these are just very like arbitrary numbers, right? But the majority of your training on big compound movements should not be failure on every single set. It's not necessary and it's not going to be optimal for growth either. Why is it not optimal? Because the more fatigue you incur, the less total volume you can do, right? Going to failure on every single set means that you can do less total effective sets because you are fatigued. And why does that matter? Because we said that volume and hypertrophy are related. So if you can do more hard sets, you're going to grow better. And in theory, you can do more hard sets if you don't take each set to failure. If you stop at a two or a three RIR, that is still a hard set. It's not as fatiguing. And so you can do more total sets and therefore ideally grow more muscle in that fashion. It's not that like, I don't want you to train hard <laughs> or that I think you should just train, train easy, right? It's the idea that this is actually more beneficial for long-term muscle gain. And it's a more optimal way of training because you can handle more overall training volume. Now, those are some of the main variables that are important for muscle growth, right? Training frequency, exercise selection, volume, and intensity. Aside from those, there's a couple of other things that we should focus on in terms of how to perform exercises to make them more effective for hypertrophy specifically. And the first thing we're going to talk about, that, that falls under the umbrella of what we call exercise execution. The first thing we're going to talk about is range of motion, okay? Range of motion is simply how much a joint moves throughout an exercise, right? Because obviously... I can tell you do a squat and you can have 10 people do a squat and they could all look very different, right? Ideally, if you want to maximize hypertrophy, you want to maximize the range of motion, right? You see people squatting with really heavy weight and they only come down about halfway or, you know, halfway if they're lucky. Sometimes they only come down a quarter of the way, a quarter squat, right? Um, that's, that's not going to cut it for hypertrophy. If you want to maximize hypertrophy, you need to be maximizing range of motion. So on a squat, that means going ass to grass, where your hamstrings, the back of your thighs, are literally touching the back of your calves, right? Full range of motion. And if you can't 
do full range of motion, you want to work on improving your range of motion first and foremost. And it's going to be much more effective to drop the weight substantially and improve your range of motion from a hypertrophy perspective. Why? Because there's pretty good evidence that stretching the muscle under load independently causes muscle growth. And there's studies on this comparing half squats versus full range of motion squats. The people doing the half squat used more weight, but they actually saw less hypertrophy than those that did the full range of motion squat with lighter weight, which just really emphasizes the importance of range of motion when it comes to hypertrophy. So when you do a bench press, make sure the bar touches your chest every single time. When you do a dumbbell chest press, make sure you bring the dumbbells all the way down and you're feeling a really good stretch in the chest. When you're doing a pull-up or a pull-down, make sure to go to a dead hang. Don't just do half reps, right? You should dead hang at the bottom and stretch out your lats at the bottom of a pull-up. When you do a bicep curl, don't just come up halfway. Literally stretch your bicep all the way down and you should feel a deep stretch in the muscle. In general, whenever you do an exercise, you should feel the muscle that you're training stretching on each and every repetition, okay? So you want to maximize range of motion. Aside from range of motion, now we can talk about tempo. Tempo is how you move throughout the repetition. And again, these are more niche topics. And like, if you look at the research, it shows that tempo doesn't really matter. But I tend to disagree with that. I think that tempo is important from a mind-muscle connection standpoint and from a tension standpoint, right? If you do your eccentrics, the negative portion of an exercise, for example, a squat, when you're coming down on a squat or when you're bringing the bar to your chest on a bench press, that is the eccentric. If you slow down your eccentric, you're going to feel a lot more tension in the target muscle. So in general, I like doing relatively slow and controlled eccentrics. You don't want to just drop the weight ever. You want to resist gravity throughout the eccentric. Now, that doesn't mean go at a snail's pace and take six or seven seconds to go down on a squat, but usually about two seconds is pretty effective, right? So coming down on a squat, taking about two seconds, you want to come down nice and slow and controlled and really resist the weight. If you're doing a pull-up, you want to come down nice and slow, resist the way down. Most people just drop all the way down, right? If you're doing a bench press, don't drop the bar in your chest, lower it slowly under control. So that is a slow and controlled eccentric. I also really like to include a very slight pause between the eccentric and the concentric. So the pause would be like on your chest, on the bench press, right? Come all the way down nice and slow, pause it on the chest and then contract. On the squat, go all the way down, pause, then come up. On a pull up, on a pull up right, come all the way down to a dead hang, pause for a slight second and then come up. And that pause, again, isn't magical or anything like that. It doesn't have any unique benefits for hypertrophy, but it ensures that you're not ego lifting. It ensures that you're not using any momentum, which ensures that you're putting all of the tension on the muscle and the muscle you're trying to target is doing all of the work, right? So it just makes the exercise more effective for hypertrophy. So we've talked about the eccentric, slight pause between the eccentric and the concentric, and now the concentric, which is when you're actually contracting the muscle, you want to move as explosively as possible because that means you're generating the most amount of force, right? So on a squat, you wanna come down nice and slow, pause at the bottom, and then explode on the way up. You wanna come up as explosively as possible because that means that you're contracting your quads and your glutes and your core as much as possible because if you need to if you're trying to move a weight fast that means you have to produce a lot of force right and ideally we want to be producing force maximally so the concentric is always explosive right the eccentric slow and controlled 
and ideally you have a slight pause between eccentric and concentric. That's the general recommendation I give when it comes to tempo or exercise execution in terms of how you do every repetition. So maximize range of motion and focus on those tempo-related recommendations. And the last thing I want to talk about is rest periods, right? How long you actually rest between sets when you're training. Uh, I think it's really common for people to go to the gym and rest 30 seconds between sets or rest 60 seconds because they feel a burn, their heart is pumping, they're breaking a sweat, they really feel like they're getting a workout. And you probably, you are getting a good workout, a good cardio workout, but you're not getting a really good muscle building workout. If you're trying to build muscle, your performance is really important, right? What happens when you rest 30 seconds or 60 seconds is that your reps drop off, right? Maybe your first set, you did 15 reps, you rest 30 seconds, you do 10 reps, you rest 30 seconds, you only get five or six reps because you don't give your muscles enough time to rest and recover, right? When you're training for hypertrophy, the goal isn't to be breathing heavy. The goal isn't to feel a crazy burn. The goal isn't to feel a crazy pump. All of those things do happen when you train for hypertrophy, right? Your goal isn't to have your heart racing and sweating. The goal is to perform as best as possible on each set and really fatigue the target muscle. And the best way you could do that is by resting more time. I generally recommend resting at least three to five minutes for big compound movements. If I'm doing a squat, I'm resting five minutes between my sets because I push myself on each set and it takes me that long to just catch my breath, recover, and feel like I'm in a good mental space to attack the next set just as hard. Now for isolation movements, I only rest about two or three minutes because obviously those are not as fatiguing. But in general, one of the biggest changes that people can make to their trainings to make it more effective for hypertrophy is just rest longer, right? Rest longer so you can take each set, so you can train each set with more intensity, which makes each set more effective for muscle growth, okay? If you're doing a workout that's, let's say, 12 to 15 sets total for that workout, that should take you at the very least an hour, including warm-ups, right? If you're resting three to five minutes on the compound movements and two to three minutes on the isolation movements. And the reason I bring that up is because I've prescribed workouts to clients that are 12 to 15 sets for that entire workout, and they get it done in like 20 or 30 minutes. That tells me that they're not resting enough and they're not pushing each set with an appropriate intensity to actually stimulate muscle growth. So make sure that you're training hard enough, and in order to do so, make sure you're resting sufficiently between sets, okay? Alrighty, guys, to quickly wrap this video up, I hope you enjoyed it so far. Pretty much talked about all of the fundamental principles that are important for hypertrophy training, right? You need to ensure progressive overload, but in order to do so, you should be focusing on the hypertrophy-specific variables. You should be training each muscle at least twice per week, you should be doing both compound and isolation movements, right? And do the compound movements for the movement patterns that I shared earlier. You want to make sure you're doing at least 10 sets per muscle per week. And remember, more volume is better, but you don't want to do so much volume that you can't recover from your training. Because if you're doing so, then you're probably not progressing as quickly as possible and you'd likely benefit from having slightly lower volume. Aside from volume, make sure that you're training intensely enough leaving no more than three reps left in tank, but you definitely don't have to train to failure on every single set. And ideally for compound movements, you're training in that two to three RIR range. The majority of your training and maybe five to 10% of your training is closer to zero or one RIR. 
And now, aside from those variables, make sure you're training with full range of motion and a good tempo. Again, slow and controlled eccentrics, slight pause, explosive concentrics, and make sure you're resting enough between each of your sets. If you ensure all of those things, you're going to have a pretty well-balanced training program that's going to be specific for muscle hypertrophy. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening to this on any of your favorite podcasting apps, I would appreciate it if you took a second to leave a review and rate this podcast. And if you're watching on YouTube, please take a second to subscribe to my channel and give this video a thumbs up. It helps me a ton. I obviously make these podcast episodes completely for free. They take a ton of time and effort. Not that that's an issue at all because I really enjoy doing them, but a, a nice, easy way to show your appreciation and to help spread this message and help my podcast grow. All I ask from you is to leave me a review, a thumbs up, a rating, whatever it may be. Anyways, guys, appreciate you for taking time to listen, and I'll catch you in next week's episode. Peace.